Well, once again, welcome to this month's Ask Europe Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. Uh, it's April 19th, 2019, and this is Ask Your Herb Doctor. Uh, KMUD Garville 91.1 FM uh, proudly hosts this free speech independent radio program uh, that we do the third Friday of every month. And from 6.30 until 7 o'clock, callers are invited to call with questions either related to this month's continuing topic of antiviral herbs uh, and we're going to break into nanoparticles and their health effects, negative health effects, and also uh, looking a little more at some other articles surrounding polyunsaturated fats and cancer incidents. So that'll be something uh, we'll bring out here. Uh, the tide is slowly changing and slowly turning, and uh, as Dr. Pete has said and has been famously quoted in the past, a lie gets around the world quicker than truth can tie up her shoelaces. Uh, so once again, uh, we're very welcome to have Dr. Pete join us on the radio show live. You there, Dr. Pete? Yes. Hello. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I just first wanted to start a very brief uh, introduction into some of the some of the things that uh, uh, we're going to cover again this evening, uh, which is a kind of follow-up from the last couple of months that we haven't uh, finished, but uh, went well to, to a great length on it, uh, the antiviral activity of um, selected medicinal plants for which there are uh, plenty of articles. If you look at PubMed, for example, uh, you can type in the Latin name of a plant and type in uh, antiviral activity and you can get a host of search results that will come back with uh, clinical trials that have been done on that plant uh, for that known virus, whether it's herpes or, you know, hepatitis or whatever. Um, so whilst we know that the source of this information may not be fully accurate, as is always the case with everything, um, PubMed is one of those places that does supposedly publish, you know, reviewed articles and like ResearchGate and other affiliates is at this point I think probably one of the only real avenues that we have to look for the results that we hope are not skewed and tell uh, the facts like they are. I know I've interviewed Dr. Pete and many times he's quoted uh, supposedly scientific research articles that are nothing of the sort and has pointed out blatant errors uh, in the research and uh, has put the record straight. Um, I think before anyway, before I carry on, um, I would like to uh, get you, Dr. Pete, just to introduce yourself to people who maybe haven't heard of you before, though I think your fame is spreading around the world. <laughs> uh, but to, if you just outline your academic uh, and professional background for people that have maybe not heard of you before, and also, like I've said, you know, uh, all of these programs will be on an Instagram page and we'll be doing a fairly intensive uh, Ray Pete-based ideology instagram page for people to find all of the information that you've been talking about rather than recapitulated from various websites uh, that are purporting to be uh, dr pete uh, friendly uh, some of which are su <laughs> suggesting things that i know you wouldn't suggest so uh, just for people listening tonight uh, it's april 2019 here now and um, hopefully in the next two months or so we'll have an opening instagram page uh, and we're going to chronologically uh, as well as uh, by subject matter, list it in a logical sequence for people to educate themselves from the very beginning uh, of your work, Dr. Pete, which was on polyunsaturates and thyroid and hormones. But anyway, enough of me. Would you just introduce yourself? Um, 
between 1968 and 72, I studied biology, uh, emphasizing uh, physiology, especially reproductive physiology, at the University of Oregon. Uh, but I, I didn't start academic study of biology until I uh, had uh, about 20 years <clears throat> of um, investigating uh, uh, controversies in, in biology and uh, having decided that academic biology, especially in the U.S., uh, was uh, uh, too dogmatic and commercial uh, to really be scientific. But uh, I finally decided to, to go through the academic process and uh, uh, find out uh, some of its weaknesses in the process. Uh, and uh, after getting the Ph.D., I, I, I just continued my independent studying, uh, doing nutrition counseling, hormone counseling, and, and uh, studying uh, how the brain, reproductive, and immune systems in particular interact with, with the environment, especially nutrition. You've been a, a big proponent for a long time now of uh, getting people to stop uh, using polyunsaturates, uh, quoting uh, Burr and other uh, people who had previously studied uh, this and were supporting it uh, in the mid-30s or 40s uh, and from there on. And, and you've always mentioned the fact that the paint industry was a big user of these vegetable oils and that when the petroleum industry came into being, uh, synthetic uh, additives and paints were then manufactured from petroleum and put the seed oil producers at risk, and so they decided to put these seed oils into the food chain. And for a long, long time now, um, you know, as I grew up in the 70s, uh, the polyunsaturates and the sunflower oil and everything else was uh, margarine, you know, was just advertised everywhere as the health, heart-healthy, heart um, you know, wonder, wonder oil. And the things that our forebears had used, the very natural products like saturated fat from beef, um, these kind of things, animal fats and animal products even, uh, largely. Uh, a, a big ignored. study in, in veterans uh, of the heart-healthy diet uh -huh. with margarine uh, <laughs> found that it not only uh, caused more cancer, but also increased deaths from heart disease. Uh, and that was a turning point against the original essential fatty acids, uh, and that uh, set the background for um, fish oil to come on the market yeah okay well i think probably this is not the order i was going to ask you some questions uh, related to things from antiviral components uh, in medicinal herbs that you probably have read about and you would understand and be able to uh, you know elucidate somewhat from your perspective of how they work especially those uh, we've talked about in the past the the dark pigments the anthocyanin pigments that uh, you have described as being uh, radical quenching because they have the ability to mop up electrons and suppress inflammation and that kind of thing. But let me just, um, and I didn't, I didn't send any of this to you, but I read this article. It just came out of the blue as I was looking at um, articles to support a, a negative detrimental effect from polyunsaturates because, gosh, you type in polyunsaturates and all you find is how good they are, how healthy they are, how cardiovascular friendly they are, uh, yeah, and how, how you can't live without them and how you'd be crazy not to use them. So there's a strength pushed in the industry 
weighed on the pro polyunsaturate side that it's very difficult to find evidence for the opposite. But I, I came across this article and it's t entitled Are Diets High in Omega-6 Polyunsaturated Fatty Acids Unhealthy? And um, this came out of uh, work that was uh, done uh, at the University Hadassah Medical School in Jerusalem. And it said that, uh, just I want to quote a small paragraph from it and then we'll carry on uh, th in the order that I think we were going to do this uh, subject in with antivirals and then move on to uh, nanotechnology as a, an emerging uh, potential problem. Uh, but anyway, it said that uh, in the introduction, and I am quoting the introduction here, so for people that might even come across this article, yeah, it's plagiarism in some ways, but I just want to directly quote the article. Uh, it said, Israel has one of the highest dietary polyunsaturated to saturated fat ratios in the world. Uh, the population consumes some 8% more omega-6 PUFAs than in the USA and some 10 to 12% more than in most European countries. Israeli Jews may be regarded as a population-based dietary experiment of the effect of a high omega-6 PUFA diet on disease, one of which until recently was widely recommended. Despite such national habits, paradoxically, there is a high prevalence of cardiovascular diseases from hypertension, non-insulin-dependent de diabetes mellitus, and obesity, all diseases which are associated with hyperinsulinemia and insulin resistance and grouped together as the insulin resistance syndrome or syndrome X. There is also an increased cancer incidence and mortality rate, especially in women, in comparison with Western countries. Studies suggest that high linoleic acid consumption might aggravate hyperinsulinemia and insulin resistance, as well as being a substrate for lipid peroxidation and free radical formation, which I know you've mentioned extensively. Thus far from being beneficial, high omega-6 PUFA diets may have some serious long-term effects, acting as the link between hyperinsulinemia, atherosclerosis, and carcinogenesis. So, what do you think of that article? Very good. <laughs> so uh, it, you've got to search. I don't know. I don't know if this had any bearing on the uh, search results, folks. And I don't want you to interpret what I'm going to say as just the way it, that's evidence of it. But I was using uh, Start Page uh, as my browser, and um, increasingly going off Google, which I think obviously has become de facto for a lot of people just because it's so ubiquitous. But I truly believe, and this is my own personal opinion that Google are streamlining results based on search terms that suit their agenda, folks. A couple of sociologists <clears throat> recently did a study on a Google-like search engine, and they uh, slightly jiggered the frequency of uh, uh, particular names of political candidates. Uh -huh. they, they thought they might be able to... <clears throat> uh, rig the, the choice in an election by 2 or 3%. It mm -hmm. turned out they were getting a 48% <laughs> wow. uh, false wow. uh, result just by uh, which name they uh, favored with the search engine. Yeah. Uh, very horrifying about what Google could be doing. Absolutely, and, th and this mirrors what I said very early on in the beginning of that, that you have to be careful where you get your results from because... Even published medical data is skewed and it's uh, abused and data is misinterpreted or downright corrected in favor of the results they're looking for. 
and and so it is with the internet as well. I mean, as much as it's, it is paradoxical that there's a wealth of information out there, but you've really got to be careful that now I think the information increasingly so is becoming manipulated by the main players in the in the world of the internet, you know, in terms of search engine results, and that's Google. Uh, obviously, there are other pe- other players, but Google's one of the biggest, and certainly uh, becoming a, a bone to contend with in terms of being objective about where you're getting your information from uh, without being on the fact-checking side of uh, paranoia. Uh, there is definitely uh, a weight of evidence to show that a lot of the search terms are being manipulated in terms of algorithms that are produced by these companies to either show or hide uh, results that you would normally find. But anyway, so Start Page came up with this, and it was at the end of the day, and uh, I didn't even have time, Dr. Pete, to put this into any kind of um, introduction for the show and the questions, but I thought that was quite interesting. I'll probably take a look at some Start Page uh, search terms in terms of PUFA and its negative effects, because like I said, you generally just find all the positive stuff for them. <clears throat> okay, so you've uh, you've talked about Naringenin before, um, several times in, in different contexts, um, as um, antioxidant. Um, do you, do you, and I don't know that you do, I'm just putting it out there that perhaps you've um, have a way of explaining Naringenin's potential um antiviral uh, antiviral effects uh, because i know that there are quite a few studies that are showing naringenin as a preparation for herpes uh, simplex virus uh, being fairly effective and um, not knowing as much perhaps as you do about naringenin and its activity i wondered if you'd know anything that would support that oh yeah i think it works the same way aspirin and progesterone and all of the cell stabilizers work uh, it increases the oxidative balance of the cell, uh, simply reinforcing the effect of, of the oxidative respiratory metabolism. And uh, that makes the cell able to uh, resist uh, improper excitation, stabilizes it against random irritation, and uh, just about anything that is... Uh, unphysiological uh, will uh, destabilize the cell, the cell in the same direction. So uh, these things protect against uh, viruses, radiation, vibration, uh, uh, oxygen deprivation, sugar deprivation, uh, too much of the polyunsaturated fats and, and uh, uh, too much phosphate, too little calcium, yeah. uh, uh, just anything that uh, shifts the balance towards uh, meaningless excitation or reducing uh, uh, proper energy production. Okay, so this is a, a cell-stabilizing component, um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, which also um, has a antiviral effect because of its energy-saving uh, effect rather than allowing the cell to become excited and to- in an excitotoxic way, wasting energy and being instable, unstable. Yeah, when the virus wants to replicate, it excites the cell, gets the cell uh, churning its mechanism, and uh, uh, that damages the organism, uh, uh, produces more viruses. Yeah. Okay, so it's naringenin, that that was that one, Uh, and mainly uh, oranges and lemons, 
the peel. But I found actually there was uh, a greater proportion of naringenin actually in the membrane. So this is that uh, kind of white pithy membrane that you'll find either in between the segments of the fruit or just underneath the surface of the skin. So you're listening to Ask Your Reb, Dr. K, Midi Garberville, 91.1 FM. Uh, from 7.30 until the end of the show, 8 o'clock, uh, you're invited to call in our guest speaker, uh, Dr. Raymond Pete, uh, covering uh, a few antiviral herbs before we get into the subject of particulates, especially the nano particulates and nanotechnology. Uh, the number here is uh, area code 707-923-3911. Um, okay, then, I guess I'll very quickly just uh, mention that I don't see too much uh, conclusive evidence here, but uh, hemidesmus, which was uh, Indian sarsaparilla, I saw a few articles there about its herpes simplex uh, 1 and 2 activity. Uh, but then I wanted to mention pomegranate. <clears throat> I think this is a fairly ancient uh, fruit that's been mentioned since biblical times uh, and an article that mentioned the effect of zinc in conjunction with pomegranate rind extract being eight times greater in its viricidal activity than an equivalent mass of just purely pomegranate extract so um, I would understand the pomegranate again to being fairly antioxidant, as I think that's the main reason it's juiced and sold as, as its potential health benefits. But um, from the point of view of the ion, zinc, uh, I think it has been it obviously used as a sun blocker, um, and I think zinc on its own has been touted as a, um, a healing agent uh, for speeding up the healing process uh, in cold sores. Uh, do you have anything to say on zinc or what you've heard or read before that would support any activity there? I think the protein synthesizing uh, function of zinc is like vitamin A for uh, accelerating healing. So the protein synthesizing effect, and this would be why it uh, would be used in the production of sperm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Okay, all right. And then um, something that I'd... Uh, have a kind of personal relationship with, if you like, between this one and the next one, is uh, birch bark extract. And um, I had an article that uh, was published by the University of Medicine and Pharmacy um, in Romania on betulin. Uh, and betulin and betulinic acid uh, were two ingredients that were used uh, for this and uh, had some pretty good uh, results with it in uh, treating uh, melanomas and colon and cervical cancer and uh, this study uh, uh, seemed to show here that the um, double staining analysis uh, that was conducted on the cells after they were treated uh, measured the activity of the cell enzymes which were responsible for angiogenesis and this was uh, the rationale by which the extract had a anti-cancer effect was that it directly interfered with angiogenesis and creation of new blood vessels. Um, structurally, betulinic acid is um, analogous to progesterone. And it, and it, it's I a triterpene, sars- isn't it? Sarsaparilla, I think, has a similar uh, steroid. Okay, yeah, they call it a, pe- a pentacyclic uh, triterpene. Mm. 
Interesting. Okay. So um, they, they, they had this uh, trial of X, X amount of people, um, and they said that uh, it was fairly significant, its uh, effects. And so uh, they were calling out um, birch bark as a good source of uh, betulinic acid and uh, production of betulin. And there was one other um, tree, another tree actually, was uh, the uh, red alder. And they said also that Native Americans use the bark of the red alder tree uh, to treat a variety of inflammatory conditions uh, from poison oak to other inflammatory skin conditions as well as TB. Okay, so that's uh, birch bark. Um, and I wanted just to mention here briefly, and I'm doing a kind of trial myself, I know when we spoke maybe two months ago about skin cancers, um, I had, well, actually it was the beginning of the year, wasn't it, with um, Simoncini, uh, the Italian uh, doctor here who um, had, you know, a bunch of YouTube channels uh, talking about iodine uh, uh, and his um, his belief um, that there was a fungal origin uh, of cancer or especially candida uh, as an origin of cancers and that uh, iodine's use was implicated in treating that because of its antifungal effect. So um, I got a product from Australia and in Australia there has been... Um, probably for about 20 years now a patented herb based product for skin cancer and it works for both actinic keratosis which is a kind of precancerous it's called a cancer but it's a precancerous uh, lesion uh, then obviously the basal and squamous cell carcinoma and melanoma so now this particular um, plant is a solanaceous plants they belong into the tomato family uh, called solanum sodomaceum there are other solanums that do have uh, these solacidine glycosides aubergine is one of them and i had a i have a herbalist uh, in england uh, he's about he's about 82 <laughs> he's uh, i met his daughter uh, while we were studying she's like a second generation herbalist there but anyway he produces this uh, cream he bases on uh, both aubergine and birch bark and we call aubergine eggplant eggplant okay there you go so for those people that are listening i'm talking about the eggplant um so uh, anyway both the aubergine and this solanum sodomaceum both contain solar margine um and these are the glycosides that are attached, actually ramnose sugars that are attached to this um, solar margine and directly kill cancer cells specifically and leave normal cells intact. And so he's actually patented this, um, I think it was a biochemistry doctor, um, and 25 years ago he patented this product and it's been sold all over the world and you can go on the website and you can I think it's about 60 to 65% effective it's not 100% effective 100% of the time but there's quite a lot of anecdotal evidence there from people that have used it and they've got nothing but good things to say about it so anyway I wanted to mention that I had uh, on my forearms from sun damage uh, what I believe but again this is anecdotal from me I never had a biopsy taken to tell me that it was cancerous or precancerous but definitely these uh, raised uh, you know irregular bordered pearly grey sinister looking skin lesions that I was just mm. and I used uh, 7% iodine on them and uh, the results from both of that are that after about 60 days they're totally gone so it took about 60 days um, 
but I had no visible sign of anything left there that was there previously, and I'll keep an eye on it to see how it goes. But at the same time, I purchased this uh, Curaderm uh, from Australia, and I've been using that on what I have on the bridge of my nose, which I've had probably for a couple of years. Uh, has just stubbornly resisted any and everything I put on it. Uh, but I, it's unequivocal at this point in time because the uh, uh, the uh, results are still waiting. Uh, so, Dr. P, in terms of cancers and uh, skin cancers especially, I know it's a little bit of a touchy subject from a global warming perspective, you know, if the planet's heating up or if we're losing our ozone layer. But cancers are definitely on the rise. And I think before we get into the rapid increase in cancer incidences, and we have some facts and um, analysis from a few departments that have done studies on this. In terms of cancer um, and skin cancer, do you have um, do you have a way of uh, defining it, or a way that you would understand it outside of uh, you know the regular kind of sunburn causing genetic changes type approach? You know, that's oh, uh, for, for melanoma, uh, sun really isn't uh, the main factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, most melanomas occur in uh, areas that aren't uh, much exposed to the sun, okay. uh, back and inside of the thighs, even on the bottom of the feet. Uh, and it, it's a very uh, hormone-sensitive thing. Uh, uh, estrogen has been suspected for a long time of being involved in it. Uh, I've uh, seen dozens of um, apparent melanomas that uh, disappeared. Uh, a couple of people who were diagnosed with terminal melanoma, uh-huh. a very advanced metastatic, uh, it regressed when they uh, changed their diet, uh, used coffee, aspirin, uh, and uh, uh, various uh, uh, nutritional things, vitamin D, a lot of orange juice and milk and such. Um, is this an, an anti-estrogenic uh, type approach then that you're... Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, so far, all of the melanoma people that, that I've uh, talked to uh, have had a, a really quick response from uh, changing their diet. Interesting. Okay. Um, have you have you come across uh, many people yourself that have had, uh, well, I don't know, either actinic keratosis or basal or squamous cell carcinomas that... Um, have been treated uh, effectively without um, any medical intervention? Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, The first one I saw a man about 80, uh, 45 years ago, uh, put progesterone on his diagnosed uh, lip cancer. Okay. Uh, And in a week or so it was gone. Interesting. Okay. Uh, well, we're coming up to 7.30 here, so just to remind people again, this is Ask Your Herb Doctor, 91.1 KMUD, uh, 91.1 FM, and the number is 707-923-3911. Um, I got uh, a re- your recent newsletter, Dr. P, and uh, I have definitely wondered about it myself, as like everything else, you know, whenever you tamper uh, with nature, things usually don't go too well um obviously there's some cases where we um interfere with things and hopefully make them better uh, but nature does a pretty good job of uh, selecting out the good from the bad and uh, i think we've gotten where we are because of its job doing that 
But so nanotechnology um, is a rapidly progressing um, science, a little bit like CRISPR gene editing. I think it's got the same kind of uh, mystique and some similar kind of fears surrounding it. Um, it's found in many different products. Um, it's not just something that builds nanotubules, for example, to promote ultralight, strong structure, but it's put in skin creams. Um, it's added to foods. <laughs> uh, I've got an article that I don't have to read th at this point in time because I'd like to get your feedback on the whole nanotech industry and uh, where you see it um, causing problems and what you think would be the right approach to its um, development and its, uh, you know, coming into being a, a part of our science and not getting away from us like a Pandora's box opening. But um, what's your opinion on nanotechnology, where it's come from and how fast it's moving? Um, I'm, I'm not sure uh, exactly where the industry uh, came from. Uh, people have uh, uh, recognized that, that uh, uh, particles like, like soot spontaneously uh, makes uh, these uh, uh, highly structured uh, ultra-microscopic particles. Uh, uh, and it, it, uh, the industry, uh, I think about uh, 30 or 40 years after they recognized that these things were happening, they thought up things to do with them. Uh, the, uh, about 35 years ago, I had some contact with, with, with the uh, chemical industry, and uh, without asking for it, they sent me two gallon-sized containers that weighed almost nothing, uh, a sample of their products that they wanted to promote. I screwed the top off one of them, and the material floated out like smoke. It was uh, fumed silica, Oof. which is uh, now being added to toothpaste and can be included in, in foods. Uh, it, it makes uh, uh, salad dressings uh, seem more, more creamy. Oh, my gosh. How long ago was this? Uh, 35 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it worried me that the stuff... Uh, floats right into the air. Uh, it's uh, uh, dangerous to, to be around. Uh, I closed it up and set it aside. I, I didn't know how to uh, dispose of it in an ecologically safe way. Uh, 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 stuff uh, can get into uh, groundwater. Uh, it, uh, Things of that sort are produced naturally by, by friction, tires on the highway, and uh, uh, smoke coming out of engines. Right, like it. diesel engines. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, so, so it's uh, something being produced by uh, ordinary uh, processes of industry and, and uh, social activities, but uh, they're deliberately manufacturing it in vast amounts and, and uh, thinking of, of new ways to uh, make um, clothing uh, uh, deodorant, antiseptic, uh, uh, control uh, heat and, and moisture better. 
uh, but these particles, even in clothes, the, the fine particles, uh, if they contact sweaty uh, skin, uh, actually can mm. pass through the skin into the bloodstream right. in small amounts. Wow. In- interesting. You mentioned soot, and that just reminds me of the uh, chimney sweeps in the uh, late 1800s in England. Uh, they would get testicular cancer. It was a well-known a result. So that's that's funny that you mentioned that. I mean, soot is an ultra-fine nanoparticle in its own right, huh? Um, yeah, uh, and it contains um, uh, estrogenic right. as well as carcinogenic chemicals. Oh, but the, the particles themselves, because of their shape and size, uh-huh. uh, the, the reason asbestos is carcinogenic uh, is it's a um, fine pointed uh, crystalline structure yeah. and and uh, more or less spherical particles if they're as small as the point of an asbestos crystal uh, the, the body interprets the, the, uh, the uh, I, I think it's probably related to uh, viral immune processes it uh, starts an inflammatory process when the particle has a certain fineness or uh, length to diameter ratio a sharp particle or, or a very small particle activates the inflammatory process which excites a whole system of the cell in the activity huh. which uh, if, if you have the biological energy you can uh, uh, segregate isolate and tamp down that excitation and recover but uh, when it becomes uh, either too frequent, uh, too intense, uh, or your energy level uh, decreases. Uh, uh, the, the balance shifts towards inflammation, degeneration, uh, production of fibrous tissues rather than functional tissues. Hmm, interesting. I uh, I came across an article that was um, put out by the National University of Singapore, and... Um, the phenomena, they called it nanomaterial-induced endothelial leakiness, or nano-L for short. Um, they had uh, recorded the fact that this nano-L process accelerated the movement of cancer cells from the primary tumor and also caused circulating cancer cells to escape from the circulatory system uh, because these nanoparticles created a gap um, physically within the endothelia, large enough for cells to come in and out of, so thus evading what would normally be a, a host immune response within the vasculature, um, they physically were able to leak out of these spaces. And so that was one direct way in which uh, nanoparticles had been implicated in causing cancer. Uh, or Most of the places are talking about uh, gaps between cells, but that leakiness, it's really... <clears throat> Uh, a basic thing that excess excitation or energy deficiency uh, causes to happen right. uh, in all cells, that the substance of the cell uh, leaks out. Um, in a hypothyroid person, for example, if you exercise the muscle too much, it leaks its enzymes uh, right through the surface of the cell, uh, and uh, particles uh, uh, relatively big particles on the, on the scale of these uh, nanomaterials, uh, the cell emits its own 
nanoparticles uh, right through the surface of the cell when it's stressed. Uh, uh, the leakiness is an intrinsic property of, of the cytoplasm uh, when it's under stress. But, but they talk about it uh, in terms of gaps because they right. uh, have that membrane barrier theory. It's mechanistic again, isn't it? I, I, I keep... Uh I keep having to check myself. Every time I talk to you, you uh, you, you come up with this, and it's, yep, okay, the textbooks uh, interpret this uh, physiologically one way because that's the way they want you to remember it. That's the way they want to teach it and uh, propagate it. But that is a much more fluid, dynamic system that's in place rather than this rigid, mechanistic, um, you know, lock and key type approach that they've always uh, stuck yeah, uh, by. Just, just giving the cell... Uh, glucose to get its energy up can stop that leakiness. Uh, and one of the interesting things about cancer, uh, the tumors, that, that instead of looking at the uh, what's inside the cancer cell, someone looked at hmm. what's outside of the cells in a tumor. Right. They found there was a thousand times more ATP in, in the fluid wow. of a tumor than in normal tissues. The, the cells are wow. leaky and uh, they're leaking their uh, yeah, necessary uh, materials so fast that they are constantly in this overstimulated condition. This would be an energy depletive state too, right? Yeah, they're, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're losing the they're losing their basic building block for energy production. Interesting. Okay, so you're listening to Ask Your Dr. Kami D. Galbaville, 91.1 FM. From now until the end of the show, uh, you're invited to call in. The number is 707-923-3911. And if we don't hear from you, which would be very unusual, I would just imagine that you're listening. Uh, anyway, so, Dr. Pete, um, in terms of uh, an anti-inflammatory strategy for, for life, um, I know you've mentioned many substances which... Um, Many people that we've worked with uh, have changed their, li- di- their, their uh, diet and their lifestyle. Um, but in terms of energy, <clears throat> it's really everything that you've touched on this evening in these different subjects is based on a energy-wasting uh, perspective that causes cancer and that the, uh, the leakiness uh, of a cell, for example, uh, could be based on uh, inflammatory mediators like estrogen and how energy wasteful uh, estrogenic and estrogenic environment is and this is quite probably why and i i'm totally i'm totally sold on the whole um thyroid thing because the the, the fundamental basis of human life is energy we we everything is everything in the universe is energy i'm not being flippant or you know um, braggadocious or anything, but energy is the some basis of everything that we see, do, and see. Uh, you know, it's, so thyroid hormone and glucose uh, strike me as the two biggest um, fuels substances that promote energy because the whole process of ATP and muscular movement, for example requires glucose splitting that you know to to drive the whole krebs cycle and produce energy and so when the thyroid hormone is low or it's it's compromised because of uh, blocks to its production or uptake or you know synthesis then naturally the organism is going to get weaker and there's going to come a point where you exceed the ability to uh, you know to put up with that and then you start getting into diseased states so the engineer's got his finger up and he's got his finger up for a reason 
Okay, we have a caller. Let's get this next caller on the air. Caller, where are you from and what's your question? Uh, I'm from Redway, and uh, my question is, would you please go over the information about the Australian herbal uh, topical cream for actinic keratosis once again? And can it be obtained online? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Okay, so the product's called Curaderm, C-U-R-A-D-E-R-M, Curaderm, and it's trademarked, it's patented. Um, And, yes, you can get it online. There's several different outlets, um, but the place that I did get it from uh, was from Australia, but I think there are several European, um, you know, outlets for it. So that's uh, that's what you want to type in, and you'll find that, that information online, no problem. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, so we have another caller on the air. Caller, you're on the air, and where are you from? What's your question? Hello, I'm in Eureka. Eureka, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, I've got questions about Parkinson's. Okay. And uh, what uh, is kind of a good uh, direction to take go with that? Okay. Do you have a radio on in the background at all? No, no I have a... Oh, right. it's just a little bit of feedback. Okay, so your main question is Parkinson's and uh, the best way forward with Parkinson's? Yeah. Yeah. So, Dr. Pete, Parkinson's, I know it's multifactorial, and what they call Parkinson's now... I've also seen recent research showing that it's actually multifactorial, the uh, neurofibrillary tangles and all the rest of the uh, physiological findings are sometimes there way before the symptoms and actually they're now wanting to break it down into a five or six different causative uh, organisms that could be responsible. But what's your, what's your view on Parkinson's? Uh, keeping uh, testosterone and related steroids up, uh, the neurosteroids are very protective, and testosterone has just been identified as one thing that goes down in relation to Parkinson's. But uh, the pregnenolone, progesterone, DHEA, and testosterone are all nerve protective and uh, restorative. Uh, Vitamin D is another steroid that is uh, extremely protective to the, the nerve cells. What was that one, the last one you said? Vitamin D. I, I take vitamin D. How much do I take? And uh, phosphate should be reduced in the diet along with the pro-inflammatory uh, fatty acids. Uh, so more carbohydrate and sugar uh, and um, uh, any uh, good source of, of calcium and magnesium, uh, milk, cheese, uh, green vegetables, well-cooked, uh, but less uh, uh, beans, uh, uh, nuts, and meat because of their high pe- uh, phosphate content. So testosterone would be uh, first and foremost in terms of what Dr. Pete said about its neuroprotective effects and uh, for males, uh, very importantly, and not so difficult uh, to achieve in terms of uh, Dr. Pete's recommendations for light weight-bearing exercise would be the best way uh, to improve your general testosterone as a male. Uh, obviously avoiding the estrogenic substances is another no-brainer because estrogen directly uh, antagonizes testosterone and so to avoid uh, all of the polyunsaturates in the diet uh, obviously there's things from plastics uh, interfering uh, with hormones etc causing uh, xenoestrogenic effects Um, so the food that you eat you need to be careful nuts, beans and seeds to avoid those from the polyunsaturate perspective and then to um, either use 
thyroid hormone if you are low thyroid and you can check that with your temperature and pulses uh, and also things like aspirin are good anti-inflammatories for reducing uh, generalized inflammation and fibrous foods because they uh, help to reduce the reabsorption of estrogen in the intestine and because parkinson's always uh, almost always uh, involves a sluggish intestinal right. movement constipation yeah there you go okay so did you did you get did you get that list yeah, it's seen vitamin D, testosterone, DHEA, Thi- thyroid hormone, and making sure you're getting enough sugars in your diet, uh, making sure your bowels are working, you know, you're not constipated or clearing up any constipation that you have because you can reabsorb estrogen from the bowel. Right. So all, all of those pro-testosterone things, uh, pro-energy things, and anti-estrogenic uh and inflammatory mediated, uh, you know, causative uh, substances like the PUFA, the polyunsaturates in the food chain. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, if you if you need any uh, any other questions, we've got at the end of the show. I'll give out the uh, the best way to contact uh, myself and how to find Dr. Pete's articles. I'm sure. In fact, I know there are a couple of articles on Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and those kind of neurodegenerative processes that you could go ahead and read. Uh, so call it. We have another caller on the air, so let's take this call away from. What's your question? Um, I'm dealing with uh, peripheral neuropathy in my feet okay. uh, caused by uh, chemotherapy. And I'm wondering, you were talking about less estrogen producing foods and uh, more testosterone anyway if you could say the list of things mm-hmm. to avoid and uh, or if there is a way to get that um, I would be very grateful sure. I, because it is an inflammation at, a, at an incredible level it's very 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 painful sure and I've been taking some pain pills when I just can't stand I can't stand taking the pills and I can't stand the pain so right. anything you could do that might mitigate or suggest that might mitigate this yeah. inflammation would be great okay so Dr. Pete um, peripheral neuropathy post chemotherapy Pete um, the um the nerve regeneration, uh, peripheral as well as central, uh, there have been uh, many uh, studies in animals showing that uh, vitamin D and progesterone work together uh, to restore nerves. I, I think it's a good idea to have a blood test uh, for both vitamin D and progesterone and keep the vitamin D uh, at least in the middle of the, the normal range, 50 nanograms per milliliter. Uh, is good, 50 or 60, uh, and progesterone uh, should be uh, uh, in the uh, luteal range even for a postmenopausal woman is good to uh, supplement it if, if it isn't naturally uh, detectable. And, it, and this is because it's directly opposing estrogen. Uh, yeah, and um, the serum tests for estrogen are meaningful if you don't have a good amount of, of progesterone because the, the after menopause, estrogen begins 
forming inside cells all through the body, fat cells, skin cells, breast, uterine cells, uh, everywhere that you, you don't want it, it uh, can be formed uh, from, from adrenal precursors. Uh, and uh, the, the anti-inflammatory uh, things, uh, aspirin, uh, uh, progesterone, and thyroid, uh, vitamin D, and the calcium in the diet all help to uh, minimize that inflammatory process of uh, spontaneously forming uh, estrogen in the tissues. Okay, aspirin, vitamin D, Pro- a- progesterone, uh-huh. thyroid hormone, and I've calcium. I've taken that since I was in ninth grade. Which, thyroid hormone? Yes, and, and my thyroid... Uh, organ is uh, it doesn't function it's, it's are you taking Synthroid or are you taking I th- am taking yeah. Synthroid yeah I've, I've talked to a lot of people who just get no benefit whatsoever from Synthroid I think it's a very uh, well it can, they can test it in, in my blood <laughs> yeah you can <laughs> for see for all it. the good that does you can see it in your blood but you've got to convert it yourself too to active right. hormone which is sometimes a problem for people but I've just found a lot of people who I've spoken with are very disappointed with any approach uh, that Synthroid has uh, taken them in and um, there are other alternatives I know that uh, Dr. Pete's mentioned alternatives to it and both the active form of T3 um, as well as where does that come from? Where do you get that? Uh, well, typically you can go to your doctor and ask for a synth- synthetic T3. Uh, if, you're, if you are diagnosed hypothyroid, uh, there shouldn't be any problem with that if you have an understanding doctor who, despite whatever levels you would have on a blood test, that would seem to show that you are treated and you have been treated and it, it seems to be uh, within the range. If you've still got clinical uh, symptoms of hypothyroidism, which are legion you know from dry skin i i got them all of it yeah you, you probably know as my much. whole life yeah exactly okay. uh, the, the active thyroid hormone t3 is itself directly anti-inflammatory mm-hmm. but uh even uh, the synthroid it does have the good function of suppressing mm-hmm. tsh so if you are taking enough to keep your tsh uh, close to zero uh, that has an anti-inflammatory effect, but the, the main anti-inflammatory action of thyroid is through the T3. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think my body has a problem with uptake. Rather. I think that that's always been a problem for me, and I don't have any of the organs that produce uh, estrogen. Uh, avoiding polyunsaturated fat is very important because it, blocks the activation of thyroid in the T3. I've never, I've never subscribed to that. I always thought better was probably better. <laughs> Good. Um, also with the, um, I'm, I'm interested in the uh, iodine. Um, okay. Thank you. I, I'm, yeah, I mentioned earlier that a uh, 7% iodine, uh, I'd used it topically, on uh, two two lesions on my forearms, um, and both of which one took uh, significantly longer time than the other. But I'd had the one that took significantly longer. I'd had it longer, mm. 
Um, I'd had it probably for the best part of three years, and every summer I'd look at it and just be a little bit more concerned because it was just getting a little bigger and a little bit more scary and was very much activated by sunlight exposure, whereas the one on the other other forearm, I hadn't, I'd just seen it last year. So that one cleared up the quickest. That cleared up in about 35 days, 40 days, and the one on my other arm uh, took about 65 days, I think it was, in all. In all. And you just put iodine on? Yeah, it's a seven percent iodine, so you can get one. It, are you talking about the gray kind of grainy? Thing? No, no, no. It's a liquid. It's no, a, no, no. On your arm. Yeah, yeah. It was a raised um, kind of gray, white, pearly. I think I have one. Just I'm, gonna, suspicious. I'm, I'm on my way to Rite Aid. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> and you said curaderm. Curaderm, yeah. Curaderm. Does it, end, does it end in an N or an M? M, as in derm. Your That's skin, what I yeah, okay. your your dermal layer, your okay, okay. dermatitis, derm, yep, yeah. yep, yep. <laughs> dermatology. Okay, yeah. I so want to thank you very much. I uh, I will try these things. Yeah, and uh, I'll give out Dr. Peter's information at the end of the show, and you can go ahead and read his articles, which you'll find very interesting. This has been so informative. It's the first time I've heard anything that even remotely. <laughs> Well, there you go, Dr. Pete. You see, that, that, I, that we've been doing this for 10 years now, and uh, there's still people that have probably never heard you. And Well, I, I've only been here for, for a few years, and I don't always. Okay. Anyway, thank you. Thank yeah, you're welcome. You. You're welcome. <clears throat> okay. Um, so, Dr. Pete, I was going to ask you what you were describing as an anti-inflammatory dietary lifestyle, but, I mean, you've already mentioned it, those those things that uh, you, you constantly, and I won't say constantly in a negative way, but you repeatedly highlight the fact that uh, both aspirin, progesterone, thyroid, vitamin D and calcium are important anti-inflammatory uh, components of a healthy lifestyle. And other things that people often neglect are getting sunlight as much as possible and doing things that are fun. Uh, you've heard of the... Uh, Enriched environment, yeah. rat experiments that <laughs> yep. made their brains not only more intelligent but also bigger. Yes. Uh, that kind of entertaining environment uh, causes rats to produce more progesterone and to have lower estrogen. So awesome. just do, just doing things that <laughs> yeah. are fun and interesting keep your hormones in the right direction yeah it's an it's another reminder for folks out there listening to this right now that that whole subject of which we have done several shows on environmental enrichment uh it's been backed up by lots of animal studies that have shown categorically um you know like the four swimming test uh and uh, other tests of uh, endurance that the rats that just know no escape just fail and die quickly whereas the other rats uh that are given a bit of a chance you know they just they make it and the whole thing about environmental enrichment uh doing something you enjoy folks i mean life's work there's no doubt about it i i do a lot of work <laughs> so i'm uh, i'm i'm totally up for uh some social and environmental enrichment and uh, i try to get it we sure have a garden and i like to walk to work and i do get that so i'm very lucky but i think people out there who perhaps feel entrapped by their jobs or entrapped by their situation uh, need to get outside of themselves as much as they can and uh, even if it just means stepping outside the door and just looking up at the sky um, you know, there's things like that that you can do. Uh, just give yourself a few moments and don't forget to breathe. I think it's a, an old 
a Buddhist saying, don't forget to breathe, but I think it's, we're in such a busy state in our life these days, and it seems to be getting busier and busier, and Dr. Pete will att- attest to that. Speaking of breathing, I should mention that uh, one of the main effects of taking thyroid or having a good thyroid function is producing carbon dioxide, so you don't want to overbreathe. Right. Well, good. On that note, let's uh, give give out your information, and I will quickly mention something that I feel led to talk about, um, which is uh, <laughs> a very strange guy. <laughs> uh, seems to be doing the impossible. Uh, Wim Ho. Um, you can check him out on the internet. I would not advocate what he does or the re- the reason uh, by which he does what he does, but over-breathing is something he ascribes to, which is completely the opposite um, philosophy to Dr. Pete. Uh, but anyway, uh, for those people that have listened tonight uh, and for those people that have called in, thank you for your questions. Dr. Pete's website is com. He's got at least 50, if not more, articles that are fully referenced on many different uh, conditions, pathologies, uh, states of mind, of being, uh, well worth reading. Uh, is quite heady, some of it. It's very scientific, but um, uh, he's also very approachable too. I think he's still possibly approachable. I don't know where he gets the time from. but uh, And we can also be reached uh, 1-888-WBM-HERB or on the internet at uh, westernbotanicalmedicine.com. I want to just say again, it's April 2019. We will have an Instagram page dedicated to Dr. Pete's work from A to Z, and it will be from the horse's mouth. I won't add to it or take away. 